Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod here in New York in our Seaport Studios with the nearly unanimous NBA Rookie of the Year, Paolo Boncaro of the Orlando Magic, number one overall pick last year, 98 of 100 first place votes. Paolo, thank you for jumping in. Busy day for you in the city and appreciate you taking some time to, to roll through here. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me on. Playoffs are starting, Paolo. Second round starting. And you look at this Laker Warrior series in the West. Yeah. LeBron James, Steph Curry, who've defined this era of NBA basketball. When you look at those two guys and, and, and think of, as you're looking at some of the older stars in the league, yeah. who was the guy in your rookie season when you lined up for the jump ball and looked over and went, whoa, <laughs> whoa? Yeah. No, I have to I have to be all the way honest. It didn't happen to me one time this year except when we played against LeBron. That was the only time. And it was in Orlando. And like it was just like just being out there on the court with him at the like at that time, you just felt like the, the whole energy in the in the arena, like you just felt everybody was there to see him. And so like just when the game got going, I actually had a terrible game, but like I just remember like everything he did whether it was a, it could be a, a missed shot, a, a basket, like it was just the loudest cheers, and like it was really an away game for us. And I just remember being like, just kind of in shock of just like the amount of attention and fandom he had, like in our even our home arena, like it was crazy. Like every time he scored, it was ten times louder than when we scored. So like, it just kind of caught me by surprise a little bit, man. I didn't, I didn't really realize how, you know, powerful his stardom was until you get up close and personal and you see it. Yeah, yeah, and Orlando is not the only place that happens. And Kobe, it was always like that with Kobe, wherever they'd go, unless it was like a Boston or, you know, one of the real league powers but a really strong fan base, yeah. the Laker fans and the Kobe fans, because there's Laker fans and then there are Kobe exactly, fans, right? Exactly, And I think that's true with LeBron too, yeah. right? Like you feel it, it was unlike anybody else yeah. in the building. No, I mean, you, like I said, it didn't happen to me one time except, except that one game, man. Did, did you match up with him at all that night? Yeah, yeah. I actually started off guarding him. Yep. I actually I had a horrible game though. Like I fouled out. I was in foul trouble, so I was in and out the game. I, I you know it was just a bad night. But you know I, I always remember it the first night I got to match up against Brian, for sure. What do you, Paula? What do you understand now? A year out from starting the pre-draft process, leaving Duke, you're not even at the combine yet to show up and do interviews or physical, whatever you did there last year. What do you know about the NBA now or appreciate about the NBA now that you just couldn't have understood then? Yeah. I mean, I think it just comes down to, like, when you're just around the team, around your coaches, you just get to, you know, interact with them and you realize everyone's a person, everyone's real people. Um, you know, we're all, like, the guys on our team, we're all talented and we're all, you know, the best players in the world, but at the end of the day, we're just regular old dudes who happen to be good at the game of basketball. So, like, you just find a way, like, to connect with your teammates, connect with your coaches on a on a different level than just basketball. And I think I, I appreciated that, you know, because in college it's different because you're with the guys all year. You know, you go into class together, you're working out together, you're living together. So it's more of like a bond, brotherhood. Um, in the league, it's like everyone is their, everyone's their own person. Guys have kids, wives, so they live their own lives. 
And so when you get to come into the facility or, you know, on the road, you get to talk to your teammates and coaches and whatever y'all talk about life. And you just, for me, at least being my first year, like I just got to see just how guys are and, you know, basketball is what they do, but, you know, it isn't who, who they are for most of them. And a lot of them have, you know, other hobbies and things that they're into. And so, like, for me, all I live and breathe is basketball. So, like, now that kind of makes me, you know, want to venture and see what else I'm into and see what else, you know, I may be able to find as a hobby later on down the road because, you know, I see my teammates and coaches and who have been in the league for, for years and, you know, they always tell you how important it is to have something else. So I think just connecting with them on a – a personal level especially when you travel and you play 82 games and you're on you're on the road in a way that you have never been on the road in college or even certainly at a younger age it's lonely right it's a lot of just downtime in a lot of places that it could feel empty sometimes right yeah no <laughs> I think I realized that too um quickly actually I think even just when I first got to Orlando um being there you know now I have you know people who, who are there who visit me and, you know, Mike's there a lot and whatnot. But when I first got there, I mean, it was lonely there, just being at the facility, practicing, working out, and then going back to my place, which I had just got into and, and not having nothing to do, no one to, you know, meet up with, no one to, you know, hang out with, just kind of being there by myself. But, it uh, you know, it, it, it just taught me how to, you know, focus more on the little things, trying to get more sleep, uh, eat better. You know, I think it gave me the opportunity to focus more on that stuff, which ended up helping me. I talked to your coach, Jamal Mosley, and a couple things through the year, a couple tent posts that he talked about. One was in Summer League mm -hmm. when you were coming down the wire in a game when there was a lot of one-on-one. -on -one. It's Summer League. Game was on the line. And play you made right away that told him about you, just what they suspected about you when they were going to draft you. In traffic, I think you passed to Devin Kennedy for – a game winner. You remembered that, but there was really one late in the season. I think he was sick. He might have been fighting. I don't know if he had – he wasn't feeling great. You guys were playing kind of in a sluggish game at Washington. Uh, it's late in the season. And the coaches go to huddle in a game late or fairly late. And you walked into the coaches' huddle and said what to them? <laughs> yeah, I just went up to him and I was like, man, like, like, running through me, like, you know, give me some touches, man. Like, we was moving sluggish. Um, and that was just something that me and Moe's had already pre-established before the season. Like, whenever I felt a way or whenever he felt a way, you know, we wanted it to be to where we wouldn't hesitate to say something to each other. And like he said, it was real – that game was real sluggish. Um, Washington, I think, had, like, all their stars weren't playing. Porzingis was out. Beal was out. Kuzma. So it was just one of those games where, you know, they got – you know, the reserves playing and they're just playing, you know, free, nothing to lose. And, you know, they were kicking our ass the, the first three quarters. We were down like 15, 16, and I just went up to him. And I was pretty frustrated myself. And I, you know, just told him, man, just like, you know, let me see it, man. Let me let me feel it. Let me touch it. And um, and he knows that when I say that, I'm not – I don't want to come down and shoot the ball. Like, that's not what I'm really trying to do. You know, I'm just trying to create the best advantage for the team. And, um, and, I, and I was having a, a decent game that night. So it was just more of a, you know, like trying to communicate with your coach and – in the heat of the moment, that can be tough sometimes. But, you know, it was just one of those moments where I went up to him and tapped him on the back and uh, just went back to the bench. And, you know, we ended up winning that game. And, uh, yeah, so he, he came up to me after that game, too, and uh, let me know he was he was proud of me for, for doing that. It, that's what I think people kind of keep getting back 
to you on Paulo is your unselfishness and how you play that Jeff Weltman, the president of the magic who, you know, ultimately made the decision to draft you. Number one said when you won the rookie of the year, that the rookie of the year found you that you didn't chase it. What, what do you think when you hear him say that, what do you think that means? Yeah, I think it just means, you know, kind of, you know, what, what I've been doing my whole, you know, kind of young career is just letting the game come to me, you know, letting things happen naturally, never trying to uh, force anything or, you know, pre-manufacture anything. Like, just letting everything happen organically. Uh, that's just kind of been my motto through life. And, you know, through the season, I think that's what I did. Um, obviously, you know, I'm always aggressive and looking to, you know, make an impact on the game. But never do I, like, try and chase anything or chase a number or a stat. You know, I just kind of let the game come to me. If I have a, a, a off night where, you know, I'm not scoring, I don't want to let it affect me. The next night, if I go for a career high, I'm not going to be riding a high horse and then come, you know, just slough the next game. You know, I try and stay even, even keeled and just on, on one level the whole way. And uh, I think that's what he meant by that. I think I try and just keep that approach. Where do you think you learned that, that that's the way you you were going to play the game of basketball? Yeah. Um. I just kind of came. That's just my natural demeanor. Um, I think watching my mom coach, she was just the opposite. Like she was so animated and fiery, and like I just saw the passion she had, and like it was a good way for me to obviously still show the passion um, that she has. But like my father, he's he's a lot more uh, chill, calm. Him and my mom are like polar opposites. So I feel like I'm a combination of both of them. I feel like I have my mom's, you know, fire kind of on the inside. That's what, you know, drives me and motivates me. But then on the outside, I have my dad's, you know, calm, collected demeanor. And um, I just think it's a good mix. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand slams, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Speaking of calm collected, draft night in Brooklyn last year. You and I have not talked about this. We talked about it a little bit when you walked in tonight. In recent memory, anyway, at least as long as I've been doing this, the only other draft night I ever really remember there was uncertainty going into the last day about who would be number one was I would call it the Giannis draft. Now Giannis ended up going out of the lottery. Yeah. And Anthony Bennett went one. And nobody really knew up until the moment. 
that was different because I think Cleveland was still debating up until the moment mm. and taking trade calls and trying to figure out what they were going to do. Bennett went one, Victor Oladipo two. Orlando was different. They knew they were taking you, and they knew that they were going to take you for a while. And they had done an incredible job of keeping that quiet. And I was not confident that they were taking you until about 7.30 that night. Draft, I guess, started at 8 or whatever, what, half an hour before. Take me through that night or maybe that last hour. When you show up at the Barclays Center for the draft, you think what's going to happen? Yeah, when I showed up, I was pretty sold that I was going, you know, number three, maybe number two. I think two or three, though, that was, that's where my head was at for sure. Why were you convinced of that? I mean, just from the pre-draft process, those were the two teams I worked out for, uh, two teams I talked to the most. Um, obviously, Mike kept was talking to Orlando, but I hadn't really um, talked to anybody over there, hadn't didn't work out. So, I mean, those were the only two teams I, I kind of spent my time and energy on. And, I mean, I felt like both the visits with those teams that went well. So, you know, I was confident I was going to end up in one of those two spots. Um, so I, I felt good. You, you mentioned Mike, your agent, Mike Miller, who, I mean, pretty interesting piece of history, right? You're the third Orlando Magic Rookie of the Year. Yep. The other one, Shaq. Mike but Miller. some people might forget Mike Miller, yep. right, was, was a Magic Rookie of the Year. You're the third one. So – when does it start to change in your mind that I think in the words of Mike Miller, hey, we've got some action, right? We got, he said we got some action tonight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think once I got to the draft and got past like the initial pictures and media and you get to the green room, uh, they take you back there for them introductions. And I hadn't been looking at my phone really since I got to the arena. Um, so I wasn't aware of kind of what anyone was talking about um, on Twitter or anything. And uh, – we were back there about to do the introductions, and they had a TV. They had you on there with the Today NBA Today crew, and uh, they had you on there talking and had my picture with the subtitles because there was no volume. And I just saw, you know, it said Paolo Bancaro, you know, now in the running or now has whatever it may be to, to be the number one pick. And I like, tapped my parents, and I was like, well, look, look at that right there. Like, look. And my mom was like complete shock, and I remember my dad, like, just he looked. And then immediately pulled his phone out and like, cause that's my dad. Like, he didn't even say nothing. He just pulled <laughs> his phone out and went to Twitter. And uh, I think you also had a tweet that he that he showed me, and it was uh, when you first had said like the Magic are now, you know, have Paolo as the number one guy. And so I saw that and like that just like my whole mood. I like, just did it whole 360. Like I went from being calm and you know happy, or even though I was still happy, I was just like freaking out, like. Going number one is like a whole different thing, you know what I'm saying? Especially when you're not really expecting it or you don't – hadn't been on my mind really much going number one. I kind of got past the whole, like, all right, I'm not going number one. Like, I was in a whole different – people don't understand, like, where I was at. Like, I didn't think I was going one. So, I'm going in there, like, you know. I'm it's go a different pressure. Yeah, it's a different – it's a whole different you're thing. You're judged differently. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, like, when I see that, I'm legit, like, kind of having a breakdown just, like – can't stop moving. I don't even want to look at my phone because I don't know who is saying what. And, um, yeah, I mean, that next 20 minutes sitting at that table was, was pretty intense. But yeah, what happened? I, I remember we were going on air. Uh, the show started, again, I guess this draft starts at 8, whenever it was. It was 20 – it was a half an hour before. And we do a pre-show. And I became very confident of it, like, say, maybe 20 minutes, 25 minutes after – 
And I just turned to Malika and said, you got to start this show with me. I said, I've got, you know, like this is changing. Mm. And so um, it literally was in that moment. I know there's this perception that we held on to it and it was drama. I was like, I don't hold on to anything. Yeah. Like once you know something, you better report it or somebody else might report it. And so, but Orlando had done a great job really to that point of, of keeping it quiet. And so you're sitting there with people see it on TV it's a green room. It's kind of a big open area. Yeah. And the players are sitting around tables with family, with agents, mostly. Yeah. And so at that point, you and Mike are doing what now for the next 15, 20 minutes? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's crazy scene when I sit here and think about it. Like, So I'm sitting there. I'm sitting next to Mike, and then my dad and mom are to my right. And uh, Mike's not even saying anything to me. Like, Mike sat down said hi to everyone and then immediately was just on the phone texting calling and my dad is refreshing twitter like <laughs> nonstop. he's not saying anything either and my mom is just like getting emotional like she's trying to hold it in and so she's making me emotional and mind you the draft's like 15 minutes 10 minutes and i'm and and i don't know if it's for sure so i'm like like yo don't get like don't get like this yet like it's not for sure you know so I, i'm not trying to uh you know pre pre-assume anything but as the time just kept getting closer and closer, um, you know, they had the cameras on tables, you know, for, for different families. And I remember like five minutes before, just all the cameras start coming to my table. And um, like, as that's happening, Mike, you know, slaps the phone and was like, yeah, it, it's done. And um, that's when it, that's when it hit me, man. And I just, my life, I just remember my, my whole life, like my whole childhood basketball career, I just remember flashing before my eyes and like, I never cried tears of joy, and I started crying. And it was just a wave that I never felt before of emotions. And uh, I ended up, man, getting my name called, walking on the stage. Does it hit you in those minutes or moments before you're going to start walking up that being number one is different? Everybody remembers who the number one pick was. Yeah. And that's the thing that I've got to carry now with me. Is that part of it, or is it just I've earned my way to something that every kid dreams of is it yeah. all of that it's all of that yeah all of that Cause, i mean like everything you just said right there was all running through my head like as soon as he puts that down i'm thinking like damn i'm about to be the first name called like i've watched the draft every like every year of my life since i've understood what the draft was i've watched it and so i know who's been the number one picks in the past i know just like like you said what comes with that and so that definitely was a part of it knowing that number one is different than number two Number one is different than any other draft pick. Like that's that's the biggest and mo comes with the most, you know, most most accolades and most, you know, most pressure. Um, and you got to live up to it. And so I understood that. But I mean, I wouldn't want it any other way. When I think of like two moments before you played a game in the NBA, that to me were full of a lot of emotion. That one, and then your season at Duke, having to play for Mike Shashevsky in his last year. And I think of that last – you lost to him, obviously, at the end of the season in the Final Four after you guys made that, um, made that run. But that last home game, when all of the great Duke players are coming in, there's like 100 of them, and they're marching in like – just they just <laughs> – Yeah, they're there. Right? Like 35 years of them. Yeah. And then Kay takes the microphone after the game and basically apologizes to everybody. And I felt for your group that, like, you guys had to wear all of this. And it was – and I think he actually apologized for the apology. Mm -hmm. That it, I think he felt like he yeah. embarrassed – what was that like that day? 
I mean, that was, yeah, that was just a, unlike any basketball game day I've ever experienced. Like, it was just such a heavy day. Um, even before, like, leading up, you know, the whole week leading up, it's nonstop alumni, nonstop guests coming into practice, you know, coming in to talk to coach and just people that you're seeing, you're like, wow, he's here. Wow, she's here. Wow. Like, you know, you're starting to realize, like, the magnitude of this game. And, you know, you can't blame anybody for it because it's like a, like there's no you can't simulate that type of situation, but it was just the, the tale of two you know two teams like we had the, all the pressure, you know we had the all time great coach who was in his last ever home game at the school he's been at his whole career, while North Carolina gets to beat a rival who has nothing to lose really and gets to just come spoil it like, and we had beat them, at, at home before that by like thirty, so we're our approach is like oh yeah we got these guys beat. No way we're going to lose Coach's last game. Like, we ain't got nothing to worry about. And uh, we just underestimated him. And when that game started, I just remember, like, the first play, I think I got, like, the ball stripped from me or something. And, like, I just remember hearing, like, this is, like, the first play. This game just started. And I just remember hearing the whole crowd, like, you could just feel the air. Like, every mistake you made, every missed shot was, like, just so heavy, man. And I just remember, like, it was just you could we 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 went up that game and I can remember them coming back every bucket they scored like every time like you could just feel the air getting sucked out of there, and um, they just ended up pulling away and then like you said after it was tough because you got to sit out there after this embarrassing loss in front of the whole world and you know coach is pissed off like coach was livid as he should have been we played horrible um, but yeah it was just tough man and it was tough for coach too having to address the crowd. You know, for the last time after that game, like I couldn't imagine what, what he was thinking. But uh, for us, it was it was sick, man. We didn't even want to be out there. Obviously, you know, coach's last game, but we was like, man, like this is embarrassing. Uh, we didn't even want to be on the court. How did that team? Re- how did that team gather itself? I mean, that could have been the end. That that group could have been deflated, and that could have been the end. Yeah. How did that group gather again and then make yeah. a run? Honestly. We the whole I mean it got to the point like I don't know our team was was funny man like I mean our starting group we still talk every day me Trevor Jeremy Dale Mark um, AJ we we talk all the time and we call ourselves the road crew because we always for some reason we always felt like we played way better on the road and like away from 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 home like we always felt like we just like it made us closer we always come together on the road like we always had a sense of like like when we were on the road like we were the show we were the who, who everyone came to see. Everyone wants to beat us. And um, I think once we lost that game, we knew we still had the tournament. And I think that was our motivating, you know, our motivating factor. We knew our season wasn't over. Um, we knew we could still, you know, have a strong, strong end to the season. And, uh, you know, we made it to the ACC championship, lost that game, which gave us even more motivation heading into the tournament. And uh, we're able to make a run to the Final Four. And, uh, I mean, we came up short, but, I mean, it was a great year, great run. You know, I saw when, you know, JJ's around here a lot. In fact, I saw Reddick here this morning. And do you have to hear it from, like, when you bump into other Duke guys from any era, do they put that on you of, oh, because I heard JJ do it with you. <laughs> like, I got to answer to all these Carolina people because yeah, yeah, you guys yeah. lost. Oh, yeah. Do you guys have to wear that thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got to wear it. But at the end of the day, like, we got to the four. Like they beat yeah. us, yeah. they were. They, I mean, they they play a good game, man. I'm not gonna sit here and trash right. Carolina, but we know we were the better team. Um, 
obviously we didn't show that. You know, we lost, but I think that speaks for itself of where we went um, after the fact and, you know, whatever happened after, I think. Obviously that, that win is huge. That win for them is huge, but um, I think it speaks for itself. Football, there are probably 50 quarterbacks making a million plus in NIL probably by the time you stepped on the court. But it felt like to me you were one of the first basketball players who really, you were the best player in the country. You went to the biggest program. You're getting national endorsement deals, which was new. No one had ever seen a college player in national ads. Yeah. Did it feel like for you, like I was at the very, now that you look back, now NIL is just part of, in a very mm-hmm. quick amount of time, was that what you expected when they said, hey, you can start making some money now and you can do it legally? Is that what you imagined it would be? Um, I mean, yeah, when my when I first, my dad was the first one to kind of inform me on like the rule change and how it was going to work. And so the way he broke it down, like I thought it was pretty cool. I got to make, you know, a good amount of money and like it wasn't Duke paying me, it was these deals, you know, so it was great. But no, like like you said, now like I look at it and I'm like, whoa, like I actually was the first, you know, athlete to get paid in, in college. Like I have a couple my old AU coach is an assistant now and I have another there's another uh Kim English. Yep. Um who the I'm coach real of Providence. Yeah, who I'm real yep. close with. Um he recruited me when he was at Tennessee. And so we were talking uh, you know, not too long ago and and along along with my other coach, Jamal Williams, who's sitting at uh, UNLV, and they just, you know, been telling me just like the the house just crazy now. It's like the Wild West, just boosters and coaches like throwing out just numbers, players and trainers and coaches of high school kids like asking for, you know, six figures to just to, you know, get on campus. Like it's just crazy, like the stuff they were telling me. And these are like Four star, three star prospects like these aren't even you know what I'm yeah, saying the yeah. the top of the top of the class. So like you just see now, and it, I think it's good for college because at the end of the day, I think college athletes should be paid, and you know I'm glad I was paid. It, it helped me a lot, and uh, it's a great way for guys to you know get a head start and you know learn how to take care of money, learn you know be able to take care of people while you're in college. You know it can help a lot of guys, but I also think it has become a little bit of a bidding game where guys aren't making the best decisions for yeah. them. I think they're just trying to, you know, go to the biggest number, and I think that's going to end up hurting a lot of guys in the long run. Yeah, I, I agree with you exactly. It's like finding the right situation where you fit yeah. and where best to develop, all those things. Like, to me, like money is a factor, should be a factor. But right, yeah. I think for a lot of guys, the numbers, if you just chase the biggest number, it might not be the – Yeah, might not mean you'll have the best experience. Yeah, and it's like – I mean, it's like you're going – and you're, you might go to a school and they pay you five hundred thousand, but you're, you're not going to play. Like you're just chasing. Like the first thing guys are asking about is, "Hey, well, how much am I going to get?" Or nil? What's that look like? Like you should want to know, you know, who's who's there? Who, who are you going to play? You know, who, who are you going to play behind? Who are you going to be competing with? What's your coach like? Like guys are asking about money as the first thing when they talk about schools, and I just think it's that should be one of the you know second to last things. You know, you should want to know where the best situation is. So you weren't even paid out of like their collective. It was just the endorsements you were able yeah, to get. Yeah, no, right? I didn't. I didn't get a dollar from from anybody at Duke. It was all just two K, uh, signed a car deal. So like it was just stuff like that. That's pretty great being in a two K ad at that age. Yeah, right? no, and that's like that was crazy. Yeah. yeah, you could have played anywhere. When you chose Duke, 
Did you know you were going there for Shashevsky's last season? Uh, yeah, I did. Um, he, he had told me, you know, right, I want to say, was it right after I committed? I think it was right after I committed. Um, just told me, like, this was going to be, my year was going to be his last year. But he, I mean, he told me, obviously he kind of knew I was going to be there one year. So he just made it like, man, look, we're both here. You know, we got this year together. I'm never, I'm not going to let you take one day off. And, you know, we're going to get the best out of, out of this situation. You're going to be the best player you can be, and we're going to be the best team we can be. And uh, everything he told me in the recruiting process came true. I mean, he, he told us, we were, he told me we were going to the Final Four, you know, heading into when I was going to Duke. He told the team that he had it up on the wall every day. Um, and so, yeah, we just wanted to do it for him. Like you said, last year, um, it was a show everywhere we went. But uh, I'm glad I got to do that. The group that you've arrived with in Orlando, Paulo, I think your top eight scores, I think, are 25 and under. You look at Franz Wagner and Wendell Carter, lots of cap space, lots of picks. You guys have a chance, you know, two picks in the lottery. You've got a, like a 9% chance at the number one overall pick. You've got a chance to get better faster and continue mm-hmm. I don't think it's unrealistic for you guys to think that you could be a playoff team and actually compete to be in the sure. playoffs. I mean, you guys started 5-20 and 20 last season and still won 34 games. It was uh, once you guys got healthy and got everybody out there. New practice facility in Orlando, state-of-the-art. And I think people forget, like Orlando, Charlotte's the same way. Those are great NBA cities. Yeah. People care about those teams. And when they're winning, yeah. like, it's a great place to play. Does it feel like for you, like you guys are on the cusp of something here, like, like pretty quickly? Yeah. No, I think, I think we all feel that way, and we all kind of. It's funny because like midway through the year, we kind of felt that way, but we were our record was so bad. We're looking at each other like, man, are we really this good? Like, we went, we won like seven or eight straight, and so we're competing with every team. We're beating guys, and so we were kind of starting to really believe it, and we were realizing like, yo, we got all our players now, like. It hadn't been that way for a while. So once everybody got healthy and we started just building that bond together on the court, like we realized quickly that, you know, there's not many teams that are better than us flat out. Like, you know, we can compete with anybody. So it's just a matter of, you know, focusing on the, the, the small details in order to, to actually win games. And I think we did a much better job, like, as the year went on. Yeah, your, your PR chief in Orlando reminded me 30 years ago, Orlando wins back-to-back lotteries. Mm. Right. And obviously Shaq and, you know, coming up with Shaq and Penny and then you. And then obviously this year, we all know who's. Could I won't happen. be. Yeah, History I won't, does repeat itself. I won't be scurrying around <laughs> at 730 on draft night wondering who's oh, no. going number one um, this year. But it's but but regardless, like you have a chance to get high picks and then, of course, package guys, you know, package picks, do all those things to go make trades and do. And, and do a lot of stuff. Um, when you look at team building in the NBA and you look at like how groups are put together, what's important to have, when you go through the league once like you did this year, what, what did you see about, like people look at Oklahoma City and go, yeah. hey, there's a group there, just the guys who played this year, Shea Gildas Alexander, Jalen Williams from your draft class who was, uh, you know, in the top three with you, had a great rookie year and, you know, Josh Giddy and then guy that you're pretty familiar with, Chet Holmgren, who I think yeah. you played a lot against mm-hmm. and know he's pretty good. 
Um, you look at those guys and you and see some comparative, like, we're going to be the teams people are going to be hearing about for the next yeah. decade. No, nah, for sure. And I think, you know, the one thing that I noticed that kind of our team, obviously our teams are a lot different in different ways, but I think, you know, one of the things that us and the Thunder and probably throw maybe one or two other teams in there is that we have players that aren't really specialists. Like we have a lot of players. Obviously you have some players that like your core guys aren't really specialists. You have guys that are all big, good size, and can dribble past, shoot, great minds for the game. Like I look at like Josh Giddy, you know, Jalen Williams, uh, Shea Alexander, like obviously Shea Alexander's a little more of a, of a guard, but Josh Giddy and Jalen Williams, you can put them one through four, I think, and they, you know, play D, they good size. You know, they kind of three levels in terms of being able to score. And you look at our team, it's kind of, you know, me, Franz, Wendell, uh, Markel. Like, we all kind of – any of us can grab a rebound and push it and take it coast to coast and, and lay it in. Like, we don't really have a, a one through five. It's just kind of – we just play a style of basketball where, you know, we get out and run so much because everyone can, can take the ball and um, advance it or, or make a play for each other. And I think that's where basketball is going instead of positions more just good basketball players. Paulo, have you spent any time not just thinking about sort of what it means and what it takes to be the franchise player for organization, but all the elements that go into it, not just playing and performing every night, but off the court, leadership, organization, community. You know, I saw you do this this year. I mean, you, you talked in a lot of towns. You spent time talking with the media in your rookie year, and I think what sometimes players lose is when you're the star player, like when it's not going well, you've got to stand there and do it because it's your responsibility to not let the role players have to explain why we've lost four in a row. I'm the star. I've got to explain, like just like I'm going to go talk about it when I score 35. Have you picked the brains of guys as you're going through or gotten advice about the whole picture of being the guy? Yeah. Like, have you started that process? Yeah, um, I, I think I've, you know, tried to just pick what I can from, you know, guys who are in that position, um, but also just be myself in the same right. But, nah, I think, you know, you look at guys or I look at guys like Katie, Jason Tatum, um, you know, Giannis is a guy or like who, who are, you know, you build your team, you build your franchise around. I think they all – or LeBron, obviously, and they all are, like, always cool, combo collected. Like, you don't see them really get flustered ever. Um, obviously, everyone has their moments, but you don't ever see them, I don't know, lashing out or, you know, making a scene, and whether it's on or off the court. I think when you're the, you know, if you're the best player, if you're the guy who everyone looks at, you know, you got to have a, a, a demeanor about you that everyone trusts you, everyone can depend on you to not, you know, crash out if something goes wrong or, you know, just be unpredictable. You know, you got to be able to be counted on. And guys, coaches, players, teammates, they got to know what you're bringing to the table and that you're going to be there, you know, when you need it. Um, and then off the court, that you're going to carry the load of, you know, helping out in the community, uh, being that guy who, you know, the kids in the city or, you know, the fans, you know, can look to and, you know, be a fan of because they know that you ha you're doing it for the right reasons. And, at the end of the day, you're invested in in the team and in the in the uh, fan base and in the city. So, 
I look at those guys and I think they do a great job of that. And uh, that's how I, you know, want to end up, you know, developing my, my career. Paul, this has been great. I appreciate you taking time to roll through here. I know busy day in the city. Will we see you in Chicago at the lottery? Uh, I don't know yet. I don't know. I don't know if I've. I've heard that there might be some, since you guys won the lottery last yeah. year, I was told there might be some consistency with like who goes back again just to try to oh, really? repeat, right? That might mean oh, like yeah, well, yeah. coach. Send Moe's and me and Moe's down there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, I don't, yeah coach, president, GM. So, um, but uh, appreciate you, Paulo. Thanks. Yes, thanks sir. for dropping in. Yes, sir. Thank you. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.